How's everybody doing this morning? Happy Resurrection Day to all of you guys. This is uh, one of my favorite days because for me, when I look at what happened on the, on, on the cross and on, on Easter over that weekend, you know, the fact that Jesus gave his life for us is a good thing because we needed forgiveness of our sins. But forgiveness of sins would just be a band-aid on the problem. So he took it one step further, he gave his life, and then he rose again from the dead, giving us a brand new life so that we can actually live the life that he's called us to live, that we are free from sin and the bondage of death. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, this morning I want to talk about, uh, I've entitled the message, The Cost of Love. And the reason I've titled it that is because we were talking at the men's meeting recently, and, and actually we've talked about it on, on Wednesday nights, about the idea of how sin is often tolerated, and truthfully, sometimes even accepted by people. And we all know that this happens in the world. We see it all the time. It's tolerated and celebrated. But unfortunately, even in the church, many people are quite accepting of sin. And we tolerate it far more than we should. And the thing is, is I think that if we really understood the price that was paid for our sin, then we might have a slightly different reaction. If we understood the cost that was actually required to deal with the sin in our life, we might have a different reaction. And truthfully, we would maybe have a visceral reaction to sin because that's a realistic reaction to sin. It's not something to be taken flippantly. It's not something to be taken uh, to just be ignored or tolerated. Sin should really bother us because the price for sin was astronomical. We also live in a world where I think that the, the use of the word, word love is just ridiculously overused. And truthfully, it's undervalued. And, and we all do this, and we all actually do it in our own lives too. We don't even realize, but right, does anybody love pizza or they love ice cream, right? We use, we use these words in ways that, that are different than when the Bible talks about love. Some of you guys even love the cowboys, and that's just weird. That's, I don't know what's going on with you guys. We also live in a society now that says that if you don't agree with me, you don't love me. If you don't agree with me, then you must hate me. But today I really want to talk about what real love is. And the truth is, love has a cost. And some of you guys may not have ever seen real love. You've never seen a love that truly is sacrificial, what that real love looks like. You know, we have those warm feelings and people do nice things for people, but we've never really seen in our own lives what a true, real, sacrificial love looks like, a love that puts every single person first. Maybe the closest some of us have seen is our moms, right? Our moms typically will put us first over themselves. But the truth is, is that some of us have never really even seen what that looks like. And we don't even realize the only reason that we can love at all is because he loved us first. And today we celebrate the greatest act of love that has ever been committed in the history of this earth. And between looking at that great act of love, I also want to have us understand what that love cost. Understand the price that was paid for our sin. When we look at what Jesus did on the cross, yeah, that's what Jesus paid for, for that little white lie you told the other day. Or that time that you got uh, ang you know, angry and, and sinned in your anger. 
or that time that you got offended or that time that you lusted, all those little things, this was the price that was paid for that. Amen? So let's go ahead and pray as we come to it this morning. Father, we just thank you for your word. And this morning, Lord, as, as, as we look at what your son went through on the way to the cross and then ultimately afterwards, I pray that our eyes would be open. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would have a genuine revelation of the cost of sin, that we would understand it in such a way, not that we would have an intellectual understanding, but Lord, that it would drive us to change how we live, that when we look at sin, that we would be offended by it instead of just tolerate it. Lord, I pray that we would leave differently than we came in and we would fully understand the price that you paid and the great act of love that you had for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's go ahead and get started. We're kind of going to walk our way through what happened to Jesus on that Easter Sunday, or the, the Friday through the Sunday. And it says, in Luke twenty-two forty-one through 44, it says, And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now this is right before Jesus is about to start the process of being tried. The mock trial that it was. And then he's going to get tortured, and then ultimately he's going to be executed. And Jesus has some idea of what's about to befall him. So he heads to the garden and he asks four of his closest disciples to begin to pray with him and to pray for him. And he walks away alone. And ultimately, he doesn't even have any help from his friends because they just keep falling asleep. He knows what's going to happen to him. And he's asking his, his friends, his disciples, stay with me, pray with me. And they fall asleep, but he knows what's coming. And then he asks his father to take this cup from him. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Why? Because he knew what was coming. He knew what he was about to endure. And I've often wondered, you know, we always look at it and, and we see it written about how Jesus felt in the situation, right? We know that he was so upset about what was going to come that he actually begins to sweat blood. His body begins to react because he's in such agony over what's coming. But I often wonder, do you ever think about what God felt in this situation? Because I look at this how I would feel from my, from my point of view. If I knew something terrible was going to happen to my son and, and Blake came to me and he said, Dad, if you can do anything to make this go away, I'd make it go away. <laughs> if I was God, you guys would be in a boatload of trouble because I'd have been pulling them out of that spot. I'm not letting them get hurt. I wonder what God was going through when his son says, if there's any other way you can take this. He's, he's crying out to his father. I can't imagine sending my son to pay the penalty for the sins of the entire world. And for those of you who have wondered or thought, if you're listening online and you've thought and you've heard the argument, like what kind of God would send his son to be murdered for the sake of others. And they think of this as some sort of cosmic child abuse. There's a couple things that you need to keep in mind. One, Jesus is a grown man. He's making a decision for himself. And in a moment, he could have got up and walked away. It says that he could have called down angels from heaven to protect him. He had the ability to remove himself from the situation, but he chose not to because he loves us. Two, Jesus is God. 
God got off the throne himself and went to the cross for us. This isn't some sort of cosmic child abuse. This is a God who loves us, sacrificing everything for us. Amen. But Jesus is in this garden. He's praying, and he's so distressed that it says that he's, he's beginning in ag- being in agony. He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down. Have you guys ever been in a situation that affected you so much that your body begins to react viscerally to something? Have you ever had something that, that hit you so hard that, that your body actually reacts without you, you doing anything to do it? It's not like you have to think about it. It just happens. So I work in IT, as, as most of you guys know, and I was working for this company several years ago. I guess it's probably almost a decade ago now, six, eight years ago. And, uh, and I'm working on their, their, their computers, and if you know anything, if you've been around computers and you have a job, you probably have a login, you know, a username to log in. But what there is is a big database on the back end that has everybody's usernames and their passwords and all the permissions that lets them do everything in the system. And I accidentally deleted the whole thing. <laughs> deleted every single user in the system. And I didn't even realize it at first. It's a long story short. The, the, the button that I hit was kind of ambiguous, and they changed it from one year to the next. And anyway, it happened, and I didn't even realize it. And then I began working, and I began to realize I couldn't do anything because I deleted my own account that I was using to do all this stuff too. And my body, when I, as soon as I realized it, my whole body flushed like burning hot. I almost felt like a numbness in my brain. Like I, my body reacted in a way that I've never ever had happen to me before when I, my body reacted viscerally to what I had just done. Now the good news is I was able to go ahead and get everything back up and running and fix it and then everyone knew I did it. <laughs> I, was, I was there until like four o'clock in the morning, but the, all they had to do was reset their passwords. They never even knew I did it. <laughs> But at that moment, I didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, this is, this is a, a you, don't come to, you don't get to come to work again in the morning type of mistake. <laughs> but my body reacted, and that's, that was so minor compared to what Jesus was about to go through. And his body is reacting to what's going to come. And uh, the use of the word like here says that, that, that he prayed uh, drops of blood that were, or, or he, that were like drops of blood when he sweated. And it might suggest that, that the ones falling to the ground, they're just, they're just really big or, or, or like a clot of blood falling to the ground. But the truth is, there's actually a, a rare physical phenomenon, a medical phenomenon called hematidrosis, something like that, in which under great emotional stress, the tiny blood vessels rupture in sweat glands and produce a mixture of blood and sweat. It's likely that's what happened. He's in such stress, such agony. The blood vessels in his sweat glands are bursting, and he's literally sweating blood. His body is reacting to what's going to happen, to what's going to come on. Yet he still chooses to do it anyway. This is what real love looks like. This is a love that endures all for the benefit of the beloved. In Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight of sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured all of this, what he was about to go through, for the joy 
set before him. That was for each and every single one of you. You are the joy set before him. You are the beloved that he demonstrates his love to. Amen. And if we continue on in Luke twenty-two forty-seven through 51, it says, While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading him. And he drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched his ear, and he healed him. As you read this, you might be thinking to yourself, what the heck does this have to do with love? I don't see any love in this passage. But imagine the situation that's going on here. Jesus is in this garden, and Judas shows up with a bunch of soldiers. And as we saw last week, uh, Pastor Joseph was talking about it. He says they sent a detachment of soldiers. So this is something, it's like three or 600 soldiers. It's several hundred soldiers show up for Jesus. And these are all trained Roman soldiers. These aren't just like regular guys. Has anybody ever seen the, uh, the, the movie uh, Spartans? There's one point in this movie where uh, they're going to fight King Leonidas, or King Leonidas is going to fight the Persians, and there's one point in the movie when a bunch of all the farmers and all the, all the, the, the peasants and all the people that lived in the town, and the, the, the craftsmen, they all show up with pitchforks and hoes and all this stuff. And King Leonidas, he's got his 300 men with him, and, and he, uh, he looks to them and he, and he says, what are you guys doing? They're like, we're going to come help fight. And he, reach, he yells out, what is your profession? And they go, well, I'm a farmer, I'm a baker. You know, I'm a blacksmith, I'm a leather worker, is all they say. And then he yells, he says, he says, Spartans, what's your profession? And in one, in one voice, they all yell together, Woo! because they're soldiers. They're trained soldiers. And uh, you really have an idea of what this is if you're in the military. You've ever heard that cried together in the military. But the reality is, is that these soldiers were trained. That's all they did. They were ready for death. They were ready to kill. They were ready to fight. And we have these trained soldiers coming up to Jesus. And if his disciples rose up, they would not have survived. They would have been killed. But then we have Jesus who knows what's about to come up. He's already stressing out about it, and he has an opportunity. Could you imagine if you're Jesus, you know that if this happens, a soldier's attack, you have an opportunity to escape in the chaos. And he doesn't do it. And there's even... We know of the, the guy who cuts off the, the servant's ear. We know from another gospel, it's Peter, the zealous Peter who goes and hacks off the servant's ears. And then even this, we see Jesus' love demonstrated in what's about to happen. One, he could have took advantage of the situation to get away and let everyone get murdered, but he stays everyone's hand and he stays to endure what he's going to do because he loves the people that are with him. And then we have this, this, this servant who's a servant to the high priest that just got his ear cut off. And Jesus heals him. And the truth is, this is a guy working for the enemy. And you think, well, what does that have to do with love? But the reality is, is that Jesus, even knows what he's going to deal with, he takes care of this servant. And you, what you don't maybe understand by just reading this is, this servant, if nothing would have happened, if his ear wouldn't have been fixed, would have probably been cast away because he's a servant to the high priest. You know what you can't do to the high priest if you've got a marred ear? You have to be perfect to work in the temple. You can't have, you can't be lame. You can't have your ear cut off. You can't have any of these things. He's out of a, he's out of a job, probably out of a home, out of everything. 
But Jesus heals him and restores him back to the way that he was right before this happened. That's kind of Jesus' MO, is to restore us back to the way we ought to be. But by stifling this aggression, he stops people from getting hurt. John 18, 7 through 8, Pastor Joseph read this verse last week. He said, he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus told them that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. He cared about the men who was with him. Didn't take advantage of the chaos to escape. He chose to face what was coming because of the love that he had for his disciples. And then if we continue on, I guess it's not continuing on. We're going to jump to a different gospel, Mark 15, 21 through 23. It says, And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. So as we've jumped forward in the story now, Jesus has been uh, 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 tried and falsely uh, convicted. He's been scourged. He's been in, he's in excruciating pain. And his hands are tied to the beam of this cross. It's probably, this beam alone is probably 75 to 125 pounds. And when he fell, his hands are likely tied to the beam. And can you imagine if you're walking and you've got the beams to your arm and you trip and fall? What's your reaction when you trip and fall? You put your hands out. Guess where your hands are when they're tied to a cross? So when he tripped and fell, he likely smashed his face on the ground every time that he fell. And when he gets to where they nailed him to this cross and begin the crucifixion, they offer him wine mixed with myrrh. Myrrh is a narcotic. It's actually given to the victims to help deaden the pain. But Jesus refuses this narcotic to deaden the pain. He intended to be in full possession of his faculties as he did the Father's will. As he finished the work of our redemption on the cross, he wasn't planning on taking any shortcuts. He wasn't planning on taking the easy way out. He wasn't going to take something dead in the pain because he refused not to pay the full price for us. The full price that was owed, he was willing to pay for us. And if we jump back to Luke and Luke 23, 33 through 34, it says, And when they came to the place that is called the skull there, they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Now, if you're studied in the Bible a little bit, you know that this was prophesied about in Isaiah 53, 12. It says, therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. It says, first, he would be numbered with the transgressors. Jesus was hung on a cross with two thieves, two criminals. And it says he would make, or he would pray or make intercession for those committing this horrible act. So we see Jesus praying for these, inter, for these, these uh, um, uh, transgressors. He's making intercession for them. This has been prophesied uh, previously in the book of Isaiah. And to understand the extent of what's going on here, the love being showed here, the real love that Jesus has, we have to understand the horrible act that has been committed towards him. When he says, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. The praying for the people that are doing this to him, you don't really understand what he's forgiving 
until you understand what he went through. First, he had a crown of thorns that was forced down on his head. This is a, 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 a if you guys have seen pictures of it, a, the, the thorns that are put in a wrap that is wrapped down on his head, the thorns would have cut into his head and sliced his head up. He's bleeding everywhere. He has already been flogged. And I'm going to tell you a few things about what this looks like when you're flogged. The whip that they used to flog him had iron balls tied a few inches from the end of each leather thong on the whip. Sometimes they would go ahead and take sharp sheep bones and go ahead and attach that to the leather throngs as well. And when they would be whipped with that, the iron, the iron balls would cause deep bruising and the leather throngs themselves would begin to cut up the flesh and the, the sheep bones would actually hasten that process of cutting up the flesh when this would happen. So when Jesus is being beat, it's not like he's being swatted with a flyswatter. He's being seriously damaged. And after just a few lashes, the skin would be cut through and then the muscle would begin to be torn up with each subsequent cut. The blood loss that happens during this kind of punishment, this kind of, of attack is astronomical. And the pain would probably immediately put a victim into, to straight into shock. And after this happened, he has to carry his cross and like we said, he has to carry this, this beam at 75 to 125 pounds until he could no longer carry it because he had fallen so much. He has no strength. He's lost so much blood. He's probably fallen on his face multiple times and he can't catch himself so his face is just smashed from hitting the ground. And then he was nailed to that cross. Nails went through each and every one of his wrists. I guess both. He doesn't have that many. He just has <laughs> two. <laughs> but nails went into his wrist, right through the middle. We, we see we have this idea that the, the nails went into his hand, but the way that the, uh, the Jews, when they say hand, what they're talking about is pretty much any part from here up is your hand. The nails would have went right through his wrist. And the reason that would have happened, because if they would have nailed it through his hand, the weight would just rip the nail straight through his hand. There's no, there's no bone or anything to catch it. But you actually have your bones come together right here, and that the, bone would, the, the nail would hit the bone. There's also a nerve that runs right through your wrist right there. It's called the median nerve. One time, I was cutting... A, uh, a dog kennel and it was held together by little plastic straps and I had the super dull knife and I did everything you tell your kids not to do with knives and uh, I'm cutting pulling towards myself it's dull and when this plastic finally snapped my hand goes all the way across to the other side of this thing and I bury a knife in my hand I got the the scar on my hand still and it hit a nerve and it was the most excruciating pain I ever felt. It felt like a shock of, uh, uh, I felt like I got electrocuted is how it felt when you hit a nerve. And uh, so I hit that nerve. So this is what happens to Jesus. This is going through and hitting one of the biggest nerves in your body. It goes through his wrists and it hits this median nerve. And then they go ahead and they, they angle his feet, his legs at probably a 45 degree angle. So he's not, he can't stand up straight. He can't lock his joint out. 45 degree angle. And they drive a nail through his ankles. And the, when they nailed his feet to the cross, it would have probably pierced the, the perineal nerve in his foot doing the same thing. We have a nerve being hit by these nails being driven through. And then he's lifted up on the cross. 
And once he's up on the cross, the entirety of his body weight would be suspended by his arms. Because like I told you, his knees are bent the way they nailed him to the cross. And in this position, it's, it's extremely difficult to exhale. And the victim would take shallow breaths for a while, but eventually he would be forced to push himself up to take a full breath. He would have to push on his legs. And at this point, three things happen. One, the victim's weight is now fully supported by his feet. And the nails through his feet, like I said, are already hitting two major nerves th running through this area. So he's, he's feeling excruciating pain as he hits this nerve, plus they're being driven through him. Two, the nails in his wrist would likely be piercing, like I said, the median nerve in his wrist. And as the victim pushed himself forward, the wrist would rotate against that nail, irritating the nerve that it's already hitting. And some authorities believe that the crucifixion position would pretty much instantly dislocate your shoulders as well. So his shoulders are dislocated. He's bent down. He's having to push up. He's hitting all the nerves. And then three, you remember, he was just scourged. So every time he pushed himself up, the wounds on his back are scraping against the beam, causing it to be torn open again if it had clotted at all, and he's bleeding, and he's in extreme pain and blood loss. So he has to breathe. He pushes up, but the, the, the amount of pain and all that stuff I just talked about happening when he pushes himself up, the pain would cause him to lower themselves down again because they couldn't endure the pain. And that's actually why they offered the wine mixed with myrrh because it was a painkiller. The idea was to deaden the pain. And it's, it's probably not as, as altruistic as you would think as the soldiers are giving them pain because you know what? The soldiers had to stay and guard these men that are on the cross, hearing the screaming, hearing the agony. The, the, the deadening of the pain was more for the soldiers than it was for them so they could not hear the suffering and the screaming and stuff that was going on. And eventually, the victim on the cross would no longer be able to raise himself up and ultimately would suffocate by the weight that's been put on him. And the shock from blood loss, from the scourging, would probably hasten this process. And you might ask, why did I just go into all that detail of what was happening? And the truth is, the picture I just painted is probably just a sliver of what actually was going on. I told you all that stuff that was happening in, what, three or four minutes? For Jesus, it happened over a full day on the cross. For many who were crucified, they left them on overnight. This pain, this process would go over and over. But the reason I tell you all this is because you think about what Jesus just went through. Some of you guys haven't forgiven somebody because they, they, they insulted you for some reason. Jesus just forgave everybody who did this to him. He forgave the transgressors. If Jesus can forgive this, certainly you can forgive, or some forgive some slight offense somebody has made towards you. But Jesus forgave them, even though he went through that, even though they just did all of that to him. You see, the love that Jesus displayed is unparalleled. And this is what real love looks like. It continues in spite of all opposition and all pain, and it never gives up regardless of the circumstance. And Jesus endured all of that for you and I to pay for our sin.
one of the things that we talked about briefly in the, the men's meeting yesterday but was this idea of if you read the paper and you saw somebody had won the lottery, you wouldn't think a thing of it. So-and-so won the lottery. Oh, that's nice. Somebody won the lottery. But what if you open the paper and you're reading the, the news section and it says, your name has just won the lottery. Then all of a sudden, it makes a difference. All of a sudden, we're talking about you. You know, when we talk about Jesus and he died for the sins of the entire world, it's really easy to put that off in the distance. Oh, he died for everybody. But what I just described that Jesus went through on the cross, he did that for you. Put your name there. Not every, he did that for you. He went and did that for you. He loved you that much. He did it for you. And as we read more about that day, I'm continually amazed at how Jesus' eyes are always looking outward no matter what he's going through. John 19, 25 through 27, it says, standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Picture this. Jesus is on the cross. He's in pain. He's dying. Almost all of his disciples have abandoned him. And when he looks out, he sees his mother and the only disciple that hasn't abandoned him. And his concern immediately goes to his mother. I don't know about you guys, but when I'm in pain, and it don't even have to be that bad of pain, I'm not thinking about other people. I'm thinking about myself. Because I hurt and I wanted to stop. But Jesus, he's on the cross. He's just gone through. He's going through what we were just talking about. And his thought is for his mother. I know when I'm in pain, I'm not thinking about other people. At most, I'm asking God, why is this happening to me? I don't look to others to help I don't look to others to care for because I'm concerned about myself, but that's not how Jesus thought because Jesus is the embodiment of love. And the truth is, is I desire to look like this. I desire to have the same kind of love that he has. And I thank God that every single day I'm getting a little bit closer. And then in Luke 23, 39 through 43, it says, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the others rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. And this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is on the cross between these two robbers. And the Greek word for, for robber when it's talking about these guys is an indication of violence. These aren't just like uh, uh, harmless cat burglars who are stealing stuff from people's houses. These are murderous robbers. They've been robbing people and killing them. And in this exchange, we see a man being welcomed by Jesus, even though he's done atrocious things. I want you guys to know that if you've ever thought that you've done something so horrific that God could not love you, then you're deceiving yourself. 
thing is, is we have a tendency to remember the things that we've personally determined will disqualify us from the love of God. But that's something that we do. It's not something that God does. But we do that. We find the things that we think disqualify us, and then we wonder, how could God love me? Why could God want me? How could God want me? But the reality is, is there's nothing that you can do that is so heinous that, that, that God would disqualify you from his love. There is nothing that you could do to make God not love you. <coughs> the opposite is true. You can't do anything that would require God to love you either. The thing is, is that God doesn't love you for what you do. Actually, the good news is, is that God loves you in spite of what you do. And these two thieves on the cross represent the two ways that we can respond to Jesus. The first questioned his identity and rejected Jesus outright. But the second asked him to be his savior. Said, Jesus, think about me. And here's the thing. This guy's a murderer. He's a robber. He's not a good guy. But it wasn't what he did that made Jesus say okay. It was because he asked him to be a savior. Those are the ways that we can respond to Jesus. And in John 21, 15 through 19, he says, When he had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. And this he said to Shobo, what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this to him, he said, follow me. I've included this in the message today, even though it happens much after Jesus' resurrection. And the reason is, is because some people that are listening to this message, maybe people in this room or maybe people that are listening online, has had a close relationship to Jesus at one point. But they've begun to drift away. They've begun to, to walk away. Some people maybe even have denied him. And the reality is, is that Peter denied Jesus three times. Claimed that he didn't even know him. And the reason I bring this up as we're talking about the love of Jesus is that if that's ever been you or you're watching online and that's ever been you, it's not too late. Jesus' love for you did not stop even if you reject him, even if you push him away, that doesn't change his love for you. And he's just waiting for you to return and to reaffirm your love for him. The truth is, is that he'll welcome you back with open arms. And he only has one instruction. Follow me. So for all those who are listening, it's not too late. You're not somehow lost. The truth is that he's waiting for you to come back. And then we'll finish here today in John three sixteen through 18. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God, not, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. God sent Jesus to this earth because he loved us. And Jesus willingly gave his life on that cross, just endured all of those things that I talked about because he loved us. And like I said, when we're looking at this stuff, it's so easy to get detached when we actually use those words. God loved us. Jesus loved us. But I want to be clear, God loved you. Jesus loved you, and that's why he did those things. Jesus was sent to redeem us, to save us from condemnation. And today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, if, 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 if for those who are listening, if you're watching online and you've not been born again, I want you to know that God loves you more than you could ever imagine. And for those of us who are saved, who have already, have already accepted Jesus as our Lord in our life, I want you to recognize how much he paid for sin. So that when we're tempted to sin in the future, we recognize the price that was paid. You know, the thing is, is that when you recognize the value of something, how much something was paid for, you're a lot more careful with it. Have you ever noticed that your kids are, are much more careful with something they bought with their own money than something that you bought for them? Because they understand the value. They get the value. I want you to understand the value of that sin that Jesus paid for, what he endured for that. And I hope that when you're tempted to sin in the future that you'll think about that and recognize, you know what? Jesus paid way too much of a price for me to do these things. He gave his life not so that we could just be forgiven, but that we could be made brand new and be free from that sin. So today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it was the resurrection of Jesus that testified of the works that he did. The Holy Spirit, by raising him from the dead, testified that he was who he said he was and he did what he said he was going to do, which was give his life for us for forgiveness and freedom. And in verse 18, the only requirement to receive this free gift is to believe. Amen? Amen. Well, let's go ahead and bow our heads.